conversation is not just about how to deal with family members who you may have had really tough relationships with in the past or the present, but more specifically, especially for trauma survivors, how to decide whether or not to forgive or let go of family members who have harmed you. Hi, I'm Jasmine Russell, and this is Depth Work, a holistic mental health podcast. This is a space for those who love to dive into the underbelly, to revel in the mystery, question assumptions about what's normal, play in the both and, and honor the wide range of human emotion. As a complex trauma survivor, holistic counselor, and co-founder of a mental health training institute, I've learned that there is immense wisdom in our pain, and that what we call crazy is just what we are not yet willing to understand and explore. I'm so glad that you're here, so let's dive in. This is a really challenging and complex topic. A lot of folks have come to me over the years as complex trauma survivors, really trying to parse out for themselves what it might mean if they decide to forgive someone and or deciding to fully let go of the idea that repair may ever happen between them and someone who has harmed them. There are so many nuances within this, and those are, of course, not the only two options that we have. But I think around this time of year, it tends to become a lot more poignant when we're deciding whether or not to go home for the holidays whether or not we have a home to go back to. For some of us, it's not just about interacting with family members who we may have complex relationships with, but we might feel a sense of pressure to decide how we want to navigate that relationship. And I think it's really easy to fall into some black and white thinking, believing that we must fully completely forgive and accept, perhaps even believing that we're not a good or loving person if we don't, or feeling pressure, especially if we might be in the midst of trauma processing, to really let go or disconnect from or set very strong boundaries around communication with family members who may have caused harm. It can also be really challenging for partners or folks who have not experienced an extreme level of abuse, especially childhood abuse, from close intimate family members to understand why someone might decide to completely disconnect, disengage, or cut someone out of their life. Or on the flip side, it might be hard for someone who hasn't experienced it to understand why we might completely forgive someone who has created such harm. So when it comes to forgiveness, this is a piece that I really want to define up front and say that over the years, I've really come to lead with, especially when I'm working with trauma survivors, the idea that forgiveness is not a requirement for healing. I really hope that this can be liberating for some folks to hear. Forgiveness is not a requirement for healing. There's a lot of rhetoric around forgiveness, and I want to really dive into what this term means because I think it has a lot of connotations, but it's kind of common to say that we must forgive even if just for our own sake, even if just for our own liberation or healing. 
And I think this can be true depending on how we're defining forgiveness. But I want to say upfront that I don't think that forgiveness as a whole, especially when we're equating forgiveness with repair, that that is not a requirement for us to find peace or to heal or to move on or to be full and complete healthy people. I'm a believer that our relationship to ourselves is the most important. Our relationship to our mental health, our bodies, our life experiences, how we come to understand trauma for ourselves is the most important piece. And I get into this actually a little bit in a recent episode with Luis Mojica on the somatics of trauma, where he also speaks to this quite directly, that it's a common assumption that trauma survivors make that we need to be able to repair, that we need to be able to fix the relationship or receive the apology or hear the thing that we never heard or receive the validation or get what we were never able to receive from that person previously in order to heal and move on. And both him and I agree in that episode that repair with another person, with another physical being, is not necessary. And it's also not guaranteed that even if we do get some semblance of that repair, that we will feel peace and ease and freedom. So I kind of just want to direct that back to the amount of energy that we might be pouring into trying to repair a past trauma or harm with a family member, redirecting that energy back into our relationship with ourselves can be one of the most healing things possible. I also want to get into how are we defining forgiveness? I think we conflate forgiveness with a lot of things. And so I just want to say up front, forgiveness is not permissiveness. Forgiveness is not permitting or condoning that behavior or that harm. Forgiveness is also not repair. I will say that again and again. Forgiveness does not mean that the relationship itself or a relationship to that person is repaired or fixed in any way. Forgiveness also does not mean that we engage or allow it to happen again. Forgiveness is not consent. And forgiveness is also not about letting go of accountability or simply kind of smoothing things over. Now, I can only speak for myself in this area as always, but one of the biggest realizations that I had around forgiveness with family members and even other folks in my life that I was maybe recreating some of my early attachment trauma with is that sometimes the most loving thing that we can do is hold people accountable for their actions. That doesn't mean that they're going to be. That doesn't mean that we get to decide someone's punishment. I think this word accountability that's often used in transformative justice circles, but then can get kind of co-opted and used in different ways actually to kind of create more harm. For example, I think it's pretty common, you know, now for folks to say, I'm holding you accountable by way of actually saying, I get to decide what your punishment is for X, Y, or Z thing. And that's not what I mean by accountability here. What I mean is that sometimes the most loving thing to do with someone is to stand firm 
with yourself that their actions were not, are not, and will never be okay. It's to, instead of absorbing the consequences of their harm or their behavior, standing firm in the understanding that we are all responsible for our own actions. We are also responsible to an extent the impact of those actions. And one of the things that I've noticed with a lot of trauma survivors, myself included, is that sometimes we're actually pretty good at holding ourselves accountable. And sometimes we may even take over accountability or over responsibility, absorbing the consequences of other people's behavior, and yet are all too willing to let things slide, to have our boundaries be broken, to not hold other people accountable or responsible for their behavior or their actions or the impact that it had on us, even or especially when those actions were taken before we had a full sense of agency, meaning childhood trauma survivors. And what I realized in my relationship to forgiveness is that it was actually quite, I would say, easy, I guess, in my earlier definitions of forgiveness to forgive, to let go, to have a lot of empathy for the folks in my family who created harm and to stay open and loving towards them and hopeful that we would one day, you know, really reunite and find a sense of healing in the relationship. And I realized that so much of that, even though, you know, I love that tender heart of mine that really, really wants to feel that deep sense of compassion, that that was not true forgiveness because it was forgiveness by way of pushing away my anger in order to make myself feel better, to smooth things over, to push away the deeply uncomfortable feelings of anger, rage, disappointment, needs not being met, grief. And while I was able to feel and heal through some of those emotions, there were still some, particularly anger for me, that was really hard for me to feel and I didn't want to feel it. And so forgiveness felt like this soothing balm that I could put over these uncomfortable feelings. But what that meant was that I was ignoring some basic survival instincts, taking over responsibility for repair in the relationships, continuing to put myself in situations that were re-triggering the harm, and to essentially avoid looking quite clearly at whether or not actual repair was something that was possible or even desirable. You can have compassion for people. You can understand the broader picture of why things happened. You can have a narrative and a empathic healing perspective on your life and what happened and even that person or those people and still make the choice to not put yourself in the way of further harm. And so again, this idea that you can be in a place of empathy, compassion, and forgiveness and stand really, really firm in boundaries 
in what's my responsibility and what's not my responsibility. And actually, I believe that those two things go hand in hand and deepen each other. Because for me, it felt like a fake sense of forgiveness when I wasn't willing to feel the rage and the anger and to completely stand with myself and see clearly past the grief and the hope for the way that I wanted things to be, to see clearly the way that things were. And I want to go over just a couple of key questions that I asked myself to really, really get at this. How do we make this decision? How do we make the decision whether or not to engage in repair with certain family members or not, or to step away and let go. Here are some of the questions that have gone through my mind over the years, which I will of course say I still have a complex relationship with so many family members. I have not neatly kind of portioned off who I'm willing to communicate with and who I'm not. I think it all this also deserves a lot of flexibility. And again, we can only have a certain level of flexibility when we're able to really deeply connect with some of those underlying foundational emotions underneath the trauma, including the rage and the anger and all of that. So this is not a rigid or inflexible structure, but here are some of the things that have crossed my mind in deciding. The first is, has that family member made real attempts at repair with me? So I think, again, going back to this idea of over-responsibility, there were many times in my life early on, especially where I really felt like, you know, because often the the person who's the most outspoken about family dynamics, which was me and my family, we can get scapegoated. We can also kind of be known as the person who wants to stir things up and, you know, when everyone else wants to kind of push things under the rug. And it gave me this kind of false sense or idea that because I was the one who acted as the kind of truth teller or the one who shook things up and wasn't willing to sweep things under the rug, that therefore it was then my responsibility to make the attempts at repair. And in every relationship, that repair has to be desired on both sides. And that repair has to be at least 50-50. I had to eventually discover that I could not desire repair with a family member and take on the full responsibility of making that happen. Another question that I've asked myself is, have they actually expressed remorse? Again, I think that this is something that can be really hard for folks who are not complex trauma survivors to understand, is that there are some people who have done heinous, horrific acts and do not experience remorse about them. That was a really hard fact about life that I really would have rather not had. I would have really rather stayed in this world where everyone experiences remorse for their behavior when they have truly harmed another person. And that is, of course, not always the case. And so has that person expressed remorse? Kind of similarly, have they shown any shame resilience? You know, I really uh, admire Brene Brown's work on shame resilience 
And the idea, I mean, all of us could get so much better at shame resilience. I don't think we live in a culture that really fosters shame resilience. And by that, I mean, can we, again, this idea of accountability, can we own the things that we feel ashamed of? So has that family member kind of shown any signs of being able to process any shame or remorse that they may feel in a way that is conducive to any kind of intimacy because we can't have intimacy or vulnerability without shame resilience. When we try to cover up our shame, that's when we create further harm for people. And this is something that's really hard to tell in terms of we might think that shame resilience might look a certain way versus another way. This is something that I've really learned in my relationships with anyone is one of the most important qualities. Things that show a lack of shame resilience are things like really intense defensiveness, blame, pointing the finger in the other direction, trying to control the narrative, repeatedly putting themselves first without any idea or understanding of how their actions may impact you. These are just some of the ways that a lack of shame resilience may show up. And that doesn't mean that that person is a bad person in any way, shape, or form. But for me, I really decided early on that the people that I want in my life have a very strong capacity for experiencing and dealing with shame and having that resilience with their shame, which is similarly another question I use in terms of deciding whether or not to engage with a family member that's committed harm is do they share some of my values? You know, family are likely not going to share all of your values. You may have completely differing political opinions and ideas about the world, but do they share enough values with you that you could see building intimacy I think it's really common to still think that just because someone is related to you, it means that they're going to have shared values, or it means that you're going to grow in a similar direction, or that you should be able to be intimate with them. But that is certainly not always the case. Some of the hardest situations with family members that I've been in is actually with family members who weren't necessarily the ones who committed harm, maybe allowed for harm to happen, maybe there was some sense of betrayal, but it's not necessarily the family members who really committed the harm, but just ones where I've noticed that how they treat family, how they show up or don't show up for family, how they interact with the people in their life, their desired levels of intimacy, all don't really match with mine. And does that mean that we shouldn't have any relationship at all? No, absolutely not. None of this is black and white. But it's an important thing to consider when you consider how you spend your time and your energy. Another question I've asked is, you know, does this person, have they shown personal growth over the years. It might not be the growth that you think they should have or that you think they're capable of, but have they shown any growth over the years? I've actually seen a lot of growth with my mother over the years, and I absolutely really admire some of the ways that she has grown and changed. 
the ways that she's come to interact with me or respect my boundaries in different ways, the types of conversations we've been able to have. It doesn't mean that everything is fine and dandy or that all is fully forgiven and we will never have tough conversations again. But that was a real turning point in that relationship for me, was realizing that the way that she would react to certain things in her life actually over the years became very different and allowed us to connect over different areas of growth. Another question is, can family members respect your boundaries? This requires that we set them, right? This requires that we know what they are. I think it's also easy nowadays to think about boundaries as, again, as these really hard and fast things. We can also sometimes, if we're not careful and we're still playing out a lot of subconscious old pain and grief can use boundaries as ways to punish people, to block intimacy, all of those things. But when we're really clear about our boundaries, about what we are and are not okay with, this really allows for some fertile ground for intimacy. And can those folks that you're deciding whether or not to really engage with or be in a deeper relationship with, can they respect those? And lastly, and maybe most importantly, can they also allow you to grow? Can you allow them to grow? Can they allow you to grow and change? Because it is not an intimate relationship if you're required to show up in a certain way in order to receive love from that person. And I think one of the hardest things that I've had to learn over the years is that sometimes the answer to many or all of these questions is no. And there's a lot of peace that we can find in that. There's a lot of peace. Like I said, there was a a very, very large part of me that was really attached to the idea that we can forgive anyone for anything, that we can heal and grow and repair with anyone. And while I still hold the possibility, while I'm still a big believer in growth and change and miracles and a lot of possibility. I am truly an optimist at heart. One of the most peaceful things that I've come to is the idea that just because someone can or just because I have this strong belief in humanity and our capacity to grow and change, it doesn't mean that everyone desires to or that everyone will. And also there's a lot of, you know, pride and hubris in thinking or believing or expecting people to change in the ways that you want them to that would facilitate a relationship with us, right? And that is not up for me to decide. And again, it's kind of in this theme of over-responsibility, needing or wanting things to be a certain way. Ultimately, I think the biggest lesson I learned in this area was to stop expecting people to feed or to nourish you who never could, who never could. And this is hard, especially when you experienced very early developmental or childhood trauma where arguably you should have been able to expect certain people, caretakers, to literally or figuratively feed or nourish you, right? But 
now, especially in adulthood, that expectation, I think, is the biggest source of toxicity and pain. And to continue to return to the people who could not nourish you for that sense of validation or nourishment is really one of the most maddening experiences on the planet. And I think coming to a place for me where I've learned that when someone can't hold you, see you, feed you, nourish you, it is not your fault. And it is sometimes not theirs either. And redirecting that energy towards filling up from people who can really see you, who can really nourish you, that has been the biggest shift in my life overall. Really learning to see and understand what does fill me up as a person. What I look for in intimate friendships and relationships has allowed me to grow a family of friendships and strong connections that I really never thought was possible. So I know that I set this episode up a bit in the title as a binary to forgive or let go because I think this is how we're used to thinking about it, but just wanted to conclude with the idea that often these two themes are well intertwined, that sometimes forgiving does mean letting go and sometimes letting go deepens the process of forgiveness. I hope that this was helpful for you and I'll see you next time. I'm so grateful to you for being here. I also have something for you to take with you. It's a workbook and meditation bundle called Reclaiming All Parts of You. I created it as someone who really resonates with moving through a lot of shame, insecurity, and self-doubt to really tackle these issues so that you can stop hiding and feel free to express more of you. The link to that is in the description below. It's free. You can just sign up with your email. And if you loved this episode or this podcast, please let me know. I would love it if you left me a review on Apple Podcasts. Let me know what you liked and how it supported you. And I love hearing from you in general. So if you have a question for me or want me to talk about a specific topic on this podcast, send me an email and let me know. Until next time.